Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. We find ourselves in an exposition of uh, the catechism, an orthodox catechism, and particularly that section dealing with our redemption by the grace of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the catechism is here giving exposition to the creed, the creed which we have confessed, the creed which we believe, and it is giving exposition to what the scriptures teach and the creed summarizes regarding the person of Christ, who he is, the God-man, the Son of God, who took to himself and united to himself true human nature, a real human body, a reasonable soul. And the teaching regarding his office, his work, this Christ, Son of God incarnate, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, indeed, so that he might suffer in our flesh and for our sakes. Indeed, so that he might be crucified, that he might die, that he might be buried for us. These works of the Lord Jesus Christ that are summarized by the creed, suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, these speak to the manner in which this particular person of the Redeemer fulfills his office or calling of redemption. This is the way in which the one mediator between God and man redeems sinful men and reconciles sinful men to God. He does so in this way that is in his state of humiliation. Again, Conception and birth, suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, and the descent. But he does so as well in the state of exaltation as we will come to see. But it is the focus of the catechism here at this point upon Christ's humiliation. Again, the sufferings of his whole life. A suffering which culminates in his being nailed to the cross, dying, and being buried. The catechism is speaking then of the fact that our redemption through Christ is achieved, if you will, by him in the way of suffering, in the way of death, in the way even of 
burial. Christ, as we confess, was crucified, dead, and buried in order, as we'll come to see, to make satisfaction for our sin. He became a curse for us. He became a curse for us in order to redeem us from the curse of the law and to bring upon us the blessing of salvation. The blessing which was once promised to Abraham, the blessing which is ours through faith. Indeed, Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried to bring us to God. Indeed, to deliver us not only from sin and Satan, but to deliver us unto God safely. Now, there's little doubt that Scripture teaches the historical reality of the cross. That is, that Jesus was crucified, and that that crucifixion led to his dying, his death, and that subsequently he was buried. Biblical testimony is clear. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said very early on in his ministry that in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, John 3, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in John 12, he promises that if he is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. And John, the gospel writer, comments that this lifting up signifies by what death he would die. John 12, verses 31 through 33. Subsequently, in the Passion narrative, in the Gospels, they all record that Jesus Christ was crucified with two thieves, each on one side of him, one to his right and one to his left. So that, as Mark 15 reminds us, the scripture would be fulfilled. The scripture of Isaiah chapter 53 that reminds us that he was numbered among the transgressors. The historical reality of the cross is undeniable, so the reality of his death. The same gospel writer reminds us that Jesus breathed his last, that he gave up the ghost, as it were. And the gospel writers record for us as well the fact that Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, and that Joseph of Arimathea took his body and buried that body in a tomb. 
The historical reality of the cross, according to the scriptures, is undeniable. So also is what the scriptures teach regarding his vicarious death. The vicarious sufficiency and vicarious efficiency of the cross. Jesus, according to himself, according to his own words, in John 3, when he speaks of the fact that the Son of Man would be lifted up even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it would be to the end that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. There is a blessing and benefit that comes to sinners who look to the Son of Man lifted up upon the cross. This same Jesus, his apostles teach us, even as Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That is, upon cross. The crucifixion, the death, even the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ is not for his own sake, but it is for us and for our salvation. And this comes into concentrated focus in Galatians chapter 3, the text that we have read. That Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He delivered us from the debt that the law demands from us. A debt which we cannot pay. And he does so by himself becoming a curse for us. And that curse consists in his hanging upon A tree. Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried to redeem us from the curse of the law and to bestow upon us the blessing promised to Abraham the blessing, the blessing of justification. By faith in Christ. Christ. Christ bore the curse. Christ became the curse. That we might be redeemed, delivered from sin and its curse. Now, as we look at the way in which the Catechism speaks of the cross, and the death and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, and speaks of not only its historical authenticity, that is, it is a reality of history, but also of its vicarious significance, the fact that it is for us, it accentuates, draws attention to three particular things. First of all, we want to notice these three things In order. First of all, 
the scriptures teach and is summarized by the catechism, draws attention to the accursed sentence of Christ's crucifixion. The accursed sentence, a divine sentence, which falls upon Jesus Christ as he is crucified. The manner of the death of Christ is crucifixion, a nailing to a wooden cross, which was in the Roman world not an uncommon form of capital punishment. It is in fact the sentence that is pronounced upon Jesus by Pilate himself, a sentence which is mentioned in question 37 of the Catechism. The significance of which is that Christ is, though he be innocent, is condemned before a civil judge so that he might deliver us from the severe judgment of God which remained for all men. The sentence of Pilate we saw was something, was symbolic of a divine sentence pronounced upon Christ. The sentence of crucifixion and death is the sentence, in fact, of accursedness. Question 38 of the Catechism. But is there any more in it that he was fastened to the cross than if he had suffered any other kind of death? The answer, there is more. By this I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which did lie on me. For the death of the cross was cursed of God. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23, cited here in Galatians 3 by the Apostle Paul, reminds us that death upon a cross, death upon a tree, was a divine sentence, a divine curse. The justice of God enacted upon a guilty party for transgressing the law was death upon a tree, hanging upon a tree. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Out of the mouth of God, the curse comes forth that one who hangs upon a tree is receiving the sentence of divine justice against sin. But Paul tells us, the scriptures tell us, that this is not for any sin which Christ committed. It is not for any duty left undone, not for any transgression of the law. No, it is for our sin and for our transgression. His cursing was a becoming a curse for us. 
says Paul here in Galatians 3. Here is the curse of our disobedience. Here is the curse which is our debt. Something we should have paid. Previously in verse 10, Paul makes the argument that those who seek justification by the works of the law are utterly confused. Because if we are under the works of the law, we as sinners are under a curse. Cursed it is everyone, here citing Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26. Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. The law requires perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. And any slight at all, any deviation at all, any transgression at all brings with it the curse. The law requires perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. Something we, something all men, have failed to do. And so we are cursed. But Christ redeems us. Christ delivers us from that curse. Because he becomes a curse for us. The debt of our disobedience is laid upon him. We sinned. Man sinned. So man is cursed, but by a man, indeed by the God-man, deliverance from this curse is to be found, or is made, achieved, procured. Because the accursed sentence of death that you and I deserved is pronounced upon him. Indeed, enacted upon him. He hangs upon the tree. We're familiar with the gospel narratives which remind us that Jesus is sentenced by Pilate That he is led to Calvary. Unable even to carry the cross having been beaten and scourged. But once there upon that hill, the hill of Golgotha, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God incarnate. Is nailed to a tree. Not for any misdeed, not for any transgression, not for any sin which he had committed. But he was accursed. 
and the crucifixion itself, the very manner of his death, tells us that the curse which was ours, he took. He became the curse for us. Indeed, was cursed of God. For, when the scriptures say, when Paul says, it is written, he is essentially saying, out of the mouth of God himself comes this word. This inviolable word. Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. And so we know that because Jesus hung upon a tree, he is cursed and cursed of God. But again, not cursed for his own sake. For we notice not only the accursed sentence of his death, which speaks to the manner, or the accursed sentence of his crucifixion, excuse me, which speaks to the manner of his death, as one who is accursed of God. But secondly, we want to notice the satisfaction of his death. Here, the scriptures also speak not only of the manner in which he died, that is being crucified and so cursed of God, but also that there is attached to this death, even to this way of dying, significance, Meaning, for in that death, and even in that very way of dying, the Lord Jesus Christ made satisfaction for our sin. Question 39 of the Catechism. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself unto death? Why was it necessary for him to be crucified? even, and to die, and to die this very kind of death, the answer, because the justice and truth of God could by no other means be satisfied for our sins, but by the very death of the Son of God. The justice and truth of God could by no other means be satisfied for our sins. Jesus, in order to redeem us from the curse of the law, had to become a curse for us. Jesus, in order to satisfy the demands of divine justice against our sin had to be crucified, had to die. Not because there is some kind of absolute necessity to this kind of death, that is, to crucifixion, or even to death itself. The necessity of which the catechism speaks, the necessity of which the scripture speaks, is a necessity that is rooted in the revelation of God's holy will. Remember, 
Remember what God said to Adam in the garden. That upon his transgression of the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in that day he would surely die. God made known to Adam that the penalty for sin would be death. And having made known that the penalty for sin was death, once he sinned, death was necessary. Necessary to pay the penalty for sin. Necessary to purchase redemption from sin. The justice and the truth of God could be satisfied in no other way. The truth of God. God said it. In the day you eat, you'll surely die. Is God going to go back upon his word once Adam sins? No. But blessed be the almighty God, the all-wise God, the God who is not only justice and truth itself, but love itself. Because little did Adam know that his sin, which demanded his death, would be born by a second act, Jesus Christ. Promised throughout the Old Testament, indeed pronounced in the New. Paul even saying here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As he hung upon the tree, as he gave up the ghost and breathed his last, Jesus Christ satisfied the demand of divine justice and the demand of divine truth against our sins. God kept his word and God satisfied what justice, what his own justice demanded. The debt of sin, that is what the justice of God requires against sin, which is the punishment of sin even unto death, Jesus fulfilled. God's holy will with respect to our sin and transgression is fulfilled as Jesus Christ died upon this accursed tree. He himself, as we've already said from Peter, the one himself who had committed no sin, the one himself who had no deceit in his mouth, that is, 
the one who himself had made no violation of divine justice and the one who himself had made no violation of divine truth fulfills divine justice, fulfills divine truth and makes satisfaction for our sin as he himself bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. Jesus Jesus kept the law for us. He is the one who continued in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So no curse belonged to him, and yet he was cursed. He obeyed for us and obeyed unto death, humbling himself unto death. As Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2. So that the penalty. Which divine justice required. Would be paid. And our debt. The debt of our sin. Would be fully. Perfectly. Wholly, sufficiently, effectually satisfied. This is why we are justified by faith. That's the argument that Paul is making here. The law requires perfect obedience, yet we have sinned, and so we cannot, we cannot obey. We need another. But not only that, because we have sinned, we are cursed. Because we didn't render perfect and perpetual obedience, we are cursed. We have a double debt, the need to obey and the need to make satisfaction. And Jesus does it all. So the one who is justified, the one who lives, is the one who looks to this Jesus in faith. The one who rests upon his work of making satisfaction for our sins. The accursed sentence of his crucifixion, the manner of his death, speaks to his becoming a curse for us so as to redeem us. Secondly, the satisfaction of his death. He really and truly died upon the tree, and as such, made satisfaction for our sin. He did what justice and truth, what the justice and truth of God required. And as a result, we are redeemed. As a result, we live. Here is this amazing exchange. Our sins, our curse, 
laid upon him and his satisfaction for us, his righteousness credited to us. Thirdly, finally this morning, we must think as well of the surety of his burial. The catechism asks, to what end, question 40, was he buried? That by it, that is by his burial, he might manifest that he was dead indeed. Here, the catechism reminds us that burial speaks to the reality of death. That the body of Jesus entombed by Joseph of Arimathea, this declares, this manifests that Jesus really died. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't so overwhelmed by the pain of the cross that he passed out and then later woke up in the tomb and everything was hunky-dory. No, he really died. Upon the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished, John tells us. And he breathed his last, and he gave up the ghost. That is, he really died. And his body, his lifeless body, hanging there upon that accursed tree, was taken down. And a faithful servant of Christ, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, Joseph, took that body, a lifeless body, and laid it in a tomb. And by that burial, we come to know. A burial attests to the fact that not only then did he really die, But given the significance of that death, he really, truly made satisfaction for our sin. If death was required as the penalty for sin, in really and truly dying, the penalty for sin was paid. And so, we are reminded that as Paul speaks definitively here of Christ redeeming us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
This is really the fruit of his work. He really redeemed it. He really delivered us. We are free entirely from the curse of the law, from the curse of our disobedience and the curse of our transgression. We are free from it, assuredly. Because Christ became a curse for us. That is, he redeemed us having become a curse for us. He did it once and for all. And he did it once and for all, and we know it to be true precisely because he died. And we know that he died because he was buried. So there is here then confirmation for our faith, as one author puts it. So that we do not doubt that by his death and burial, Christ was indeed humbled to such an extent that neither death nor burial can harm us since the wrath of the Father has been truly placated. The justice of God has been truly satisfied. And we know that because Jesus' death ended in what all deaths do, burial. But his death, being unlike any other death, is the death that makes satisfaction for our sin. Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and men, laid down his life for sinful men, doing what we could not do for ourselves, doing what was necessary for us to do. He did it in our place. He did it for us. He became a curse for us. He hung upon a tree. He died. And we know that that has truly happened because he was buried. He was dead indeed. Truly. The Son of God incarnate breathed his last and went to the grave. And even in this, he is buried for us. Jesus, Jesus Christ, was crucified. Dead and buried for us, for our salvation. And the fruit and the blessing of his crucifixion, his death, and his burial is all ours. Through faith. Not by our keeping of the law. Because not only can we not keep the law as sinners. Christ has kept the law for us. And Christ has made satisfaction for us. And so what is needful for us. If we are to be blessed. If we are to know the blessing promised to Abraham in Christ Jesus. 
the blessing procured by Christ Jesus, we must look to this Jesus in faith. Knowing, knowing assuredly, not only was he crucified, not only was he dead, not only was he buried, all of this for our sakes, but on the third day, he rose again. And the dead, the crucified, the dead, and the buried, now lives. And he lives to give to sinners like you and me, the blessings of his crucifixion, the blessings of his accursedness, the blessings of his satisfaction, the blessing even of his burial, which tells us that even as we die, even as our bodies might be laid in a grave, Because we know him and are united to him, our burial is not the end. But we too shall live in him. He was crucified for us. He died for us. He was buried for us. And he rose for us. And so you, though you may suffer in his likeness, And though barring his return, you shall surely die and be laid in a grave. You will live. And not just live, but live forever. With this very Christ. Who redeemed you from the curse of the law curse of the law which hung over your head, having become a curse for you. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled the demands of divine justice and did so for you and for me. And as we come to the table now, we are reminded of this truth, this reality, and even reminded of the fact that presently, while we wait for his second coming, as those who are united to him in his death, as those who receive the blessings of his death, we are reminded as well that our lives presently are lives of a constant dying. Dying to remaining sin. Dying to self. And living in righteousness. Living unto God. Even here then, there is a reminder of a life of repentance, which we are called to live a life of mortification, of dying to sin, dying to the old man, dying to self. Not by any strength we have in ourselves, 
but precisely because we are united to Jesus Christ. Precisely because we are those whom Paul says in Romans 6, have been buried together with Christ in baptism. Yes, united to him in his death, united to him in his resurrection, but also united to him in his burial. And so all of our sin, its penalty to be sure, is once for all laid in the grave. But even the power of sin is broken. And we are enabled to live holy lives in virtue of the cross, in virtue of his death, even in virtue of his burial which tells us that our Savior truly died for us.